And that's what we've been doing in this series, Open Handed. We're in the fifth installment of Open Handed, where we've been looking at the promises of God concerning giving and receiving. How many of you know that the Bible has a lot of promises in it? You guys know that? The Bible has a lot of promises. The Bible's not just a book of petty rules. It's not a book of petty rules. In fact, it is a book full of powerful promises. In fact, I'm curious, if I was to ask you how many promises do you think there are in the Bible? Uh, I, I wonder what you would say. How many of you say, think there's 100 promises in the Bible? 100? Nobody's participating with me today. Is that how this is going to go? We'll have everybody, you know, you think there's 100, at least 100 promises in the Bible? Yeah. How many think there's more? 200? 200? 500? Some hands going down. A thousand. Thousand, man. Two thousand? Three thousand. A lot of hands going down. All right. I don't know how many promises are in the Bible. Um, haven't counted them. But uh, th- there is this book uh, written by a theologian. His name is Herbert Lockyer called All the Promises of the Bible. And he said that there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. Isn't that crazy? Now, this is not a book you're going to want to buy and put on your nightstand. It's kind of a theological uh, study guide. But um, that's what he said. There was this other, uh, another man, Dr. Everick Storms, who is a church historian and educator. He uh, wanted to know personally as well. And he took it upon himself to count all the promises in the Bible. It took him 20, he made a list 27 times reading through the Bible till he felt he had his list complete. He counted, I need to read it because I wrote it down, 8,810 promises total in the Bible. 7,487 of which were ones that God made to people. The Bible has a lot of promises in it. And in Scripture, God makes two kinds of promises. He makes unconditional promises, and he makes conditional promises. An example of an unconditional promise is the return of Jesus, right? There's, doesn't matter what you think about it, doesn't matter how you feel about it, doesn't matter uh, what you do about it, Jesus is going to come again. That's an unconditional promise. But then there's other promises that are conditional promises, meaning that they are not automatic in your life. Think about this. Salvation actually is a conditional promise. God has already done everything he's going to do about saving people. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, for the sins of humanity. But it's not automatic. You have to place your faith in Jesus, in what he did for you on the cross. Romans talks about that it is belief in your heart and confession with your mouth. That's the process by which you're saved. So salvation is not one of those promises. There's two reasons God makes promises. One is... He makes promises to us to teach us to trust him in difficult times. Obviously, if life was always good, you wouldn't need to trust God. In fact, one of the promises of Jesus is that you will have trouble. Who's claiming that promise? (laughs) It says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's a promise. So he gives us promises to trust him in difficult times, but he also gives us promises to help us and make us more like him. 
Peter talked about this in the second book he wrote. He said, God has made us marvelous promises so his nature would become part of us. You can't become like Jesus without trusting his promises. So promises are like gifts that God gives you. With every conditional promise, though, there is a premise. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. Now, the reason I'm taking some time this morning, this is not the main part of my message, to talk to you about all these promises that God makes is because of all the promises that he makes, the number one thing that God has promises about is generosity. The number one thing. There are more promises related to generosity in the Bible than any other subject. Just for example, I did a quick little study on this, uh, something you can check for yourself. But the word believe, believe is a pretty important word in the Bible. Do you agree? word believe shows up 272 times in the Bible. The word pray, prayer is pretty important. That shows up 371 times in the Bible. How about the word love? And we know that's an important subject. The word love shows up 714 times in the Bible. But the word give, give is used 2,152 times. Why? Because God is a giver. Everything you have in your life is a gift from God. And because God is a giver, he gives us promises around generosity so we can trust him in difficult times and to make us more like him. Now, I'm not going to take a long time with this, but if I'm going to make some claims that there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible, and the number one prom- there's number one subject God has promises about is generosity, I should at least give you a little bit of homework that you can check out for yourself. So I want to put this on the screen. Um, I'm not going to take, going to try not to take a lot of time with this, but uh, I haven't even seen what they got. But I have, I, I just made a list of 15 15 different promises around generosity, the the blessings of generous giving, promises around generosity that I want you to see. Generosity honors God. And you're going to have to like take a picture of this and look it up for yourself because um, you'll be writing until we're done with the sermon if you try and write all this down. So just take a picture. I'm standing off to the side so you can take a picture. But the blessings of God uh, when it comes to generous giving. First thing you need to know is promise generosity honors God. You, you want to honor God? Proverbs 14.31 says, generosity honors God. That's what it says. Generosity draws me closer to God. Matthew 6.21, Jesus, he's speaking in the context of possessions, of finances. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you give, it draws you closer to God. Generosity makes me more like Jesus. Luke 11.41 Jesus says, purity is demonstrated through generosity. In other words, if you want to live a holy life, then that is seen by being a giver. Proverbs 21, 26 says, the godly love to give. How about this one? Here's a promise of generosity, that generosity advances God's kingdom. It shows the world what God is like when you give. 
It's 2 Corinthians 9.13 says this, says, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. Generosity takes care of my children. Any parents want their children taken care of? This is what Psalm 37.26 says, The godly are always generous. Their children will be blessed. Generosity demonstrates my faith. When he's writing to Philemon, he says, put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Again, in 2 Corinthians, he says, your giving proves the reality of your faith. Generosity qualifies me for more. Again, in 2 Corinthians, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 21, you prove that you can be trusted with, a, when you prove you can be trusted with a small amount, he'll put you in charge of a large amount. Generosity reveals your character, Luke 16, 11. If you can't even handle a small thing like money, who's going to entrust you with spiritual riches that really matter? Generosity increases my happiness. Jesus said this, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Generosity expands my influence. Psalm 112, verse 9, says those who give generously to those in need will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. In other words, just so you know, there's a difference between being famous and having influence. Just says when you're generous, it gives you influence. And as Christians, we should seek influence, not fame. Generosity multiplies my money. Here's a specific one. In Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, it says those who give generously increase their wealth. While others are tight-fisted and end up impoverished, a generous person will be enriched. He who refreshes others will also be refreshed. That sounds a lot to me like what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Generosity brings God's provision. In other words, it ensures that my needs are being met. Philippians 4, 17 and 19, we looked at this one last week. Paul wrote, I want you to have the good that comes from giving. My God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. Generosity brings God's protection. Psalm 112 again says, And all goes well for the generous man. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who will see it. Generosity prospers my business and my work. Business owners or employees, you want your work to go well? He says, when you give, give generously and not with a stingy heart. For that, the Lord your God will bless your work and undertakings. Generosity will be rewarded in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says, tell them to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous in giving and ready to share in this way. They will store up riches in heaven. And I could go on and on. I could talk about how generosity breaks the hold of greed in your life. I, I could talk about how generosity establishes your priorities, how it teaches you contentment, how it allows you to be used by God, how it meets the needs of others, how it grows your faith, how it invites God to partner with you, how it's a covenant agreement, how it's a statement and a reminder of your faith. There's so much generosity does, and I'm not trying to take a lot of time to talk about this. I I'm putting this on here because We've been talking about receive, not just the giving part, the receiving part, how to expect to receive from God and 
Maybe some of you, you're a little unsure how to do that. Maybe just take a picture of that. And when you give in the offering, you need to say, this is what I'm believing God for. Something on this list. I'm, I'm giving that God would take care of my children. I'm giving that things will go well in my business. I'm giving that the ministry will go forth. I'm giving that the kingdom of God would be advanced. That you should have an expectation when you give. Now, that's all, all my introduction, all right? I know we're like halfway through this sermon, but because while, while I've been spending a lot of time in this series wanting you to learn how to receive from God, the truth is I haven't spent any time talking about how to be generous, and that's a problem. That, that's a problem. It, it's a problem because it's like telling you all the benefits of a workout program or a diet. And if you do this, this is what's going to happen in your life. Giving you all the benefits and then not telling you what to do. Not telling you how to count your calories and what foods to eat or how long you should be doing this physical and what the regimen is and what that looks like. If I'm not telling you that stuff, I'm not really helping you out. So today, what I want to do is talk to you about how to be generous. I want to talk to you about how to be generous. And where I want us to look is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there is something that happened in the Macedonian churches that Paul is writing to the Corinthians about. And what he's telling them is that there's a situation going on there. In the situation, it resulted in generosity. Now, what is generosity? Paul calls it the grace of giving. That's how Paul refers to generosity. The Macedonian churches, these would have been churches in Thessalonica, churches in Philippi, churches in Derby, places like that. So he's writing to Corinthians and starting verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So there's something different about them, something special. It's a gift from God. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's interesting. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, then by the will of God to us also. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So the, the situation here is, that's the second letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church, and he's been addressing a lot of issues, and after dealing with some issues in the church, he comes back to something he had talked to them about earlier in the first letter. He, he's wanting to stir up generosity in this church. He's wanting them to experience it, and he does it 
by giving an example of what's happening in Macedonia. And he says, I want you to experience this grace and giving. In other words, saying, I want you to know how to be generous like they are. And at first it's a little bit confusing because what you see is he, Paul lists a couple different things. He says, these churches in Macedonia, they had a lot of joy. They also had a lot of poverty. But understand, what he's describing is the conditions, not the cause. He's not saying what caused them to be generous. He's saying this is the circumstances of what was happening when they were being generous. And that's important for you to know because nobody ever becomes generous by accident. No one becomes generous by accident. In other words, it's not like there was this random combination of circumstances and this was the secret formula that produced generosity. No, generosity is not accidental. We don't stumble our way into it. And I need to clarify that because we often think that generosity is the result of our circumstances. In other words, when I have more, I'll give more. But I want you to understand, that is not how generosity works. If you want to write something down, you can write this down. Generosity isn't a matter of what you have. Generosity is a matter of your heart. Generosity is not about what you have or don't have. Generosity is a matter of your heart. Paul calls it the grace of giving. Paul says these Macedonian churches were very poor, yet were very generous. On the other hand, the Corinthian church that he's writing to is very wealthy. It's a, it's a wealthy church, yet up to this point they had not been generous. In fact, you can read about the book of Acts chronicles Paul's missionary journeys where he goes and it's kind of cool to read Acts while you're reading some of the epistles. And in Acts 20 verse 4, Paul lists out some of his companions, people who had come alongside him in this missionary work, people who were supporting his mission. And he lists their name and he lists where they're from. There were people from Berea, there were people from Derby, people from Thessalonica, these Macedonian churches that he's talking about, people from Turkey, but no one from Corinth. One scholar said that the omission of anybody from Corinth is an indicator that the Corinthian church had given so little up to this point that there wasn't a special delegate needed for their money. The point is, you can be poor and be generous. You can be rich and be generous. You can be poor and be stingy. You can be rich and be stingy. That's why I want to teach you how to be generous now. Because if we can't learn to be generous now, we won't learn to be generous later. More money doesn't make you more generous. More money just makes you more of what you already are. If you're a kind person, money's going to magnify that. If you're a jerk, money's going to magnify that. If you're weird, money's going to magnify that. Money just magnifies what, whatever you are. And understand when I'm talking about being generous, okay, I'm not just talking about money. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your energy. You can be generous with your words. You can be generous with 
your talents, your skills, your gifts. There's a lot more to generosity than just money, but we're talking about a heart issue. But here in Corinthians, Paul is talking about a special offering. And you need to know that money doesn't make you more generous. And if we want to be generous when we have more, we must learn to be generous when we have less. So what I want to do today is help you learn to do what I know you really want to do. Because I know all of us want to be generous, we just don't know how. In fact, I'll just put this as a side note, the three greatest skills you can learn to master in your life are integrity, humility, and generosity. Those three things. You master those three things, they will save you. They are the antidote to the biggest temptations in life. The things that take people out more than any other thing, integrity, humility, and generosity. You master those, you will win at life. But I'm just talking about generosity today. We'll talk about integrity and humility another time. So if I were to ask you to describe what it means to be generous, most often people would describe something like this. Well, a generous person, what's it look like to be generous? Maybe it looks like you see somebody with a sign on the street and you randomly give them something. Uh, Maybe you're in line at Starbucks and the drive-thru or in line, and you you buy the coffee for the person behind you. Maybe you would say it looks like tipping a little bit extra because you notice the waiter or the waitress is having a rough time, and you want to do something to bless them. Often, we think that's generosity because that's how most of us give. You see a need, you meet a need. You hear a sad story, you do something about the sad story. You go to a fundraiser, Somebody guilts you to give, or somebody motivates you to give, and so you give. You're watching TV, see a commercial with a dog and a Sarah McLaughlin song, you quickly change the channel so you don't feel bad. <laughs> no, but, but these different things. You see a need, you meet a need. You hear a sad story, you do something about it. You, you, somebody guilts you, you feel pressure, you respond to the pressure. Let me be really clear. That is giving. That is not generosity. Let me help you with this. There's a difference. That's giving. And just to be clear, giving's good. Giving is awesome. You want to give. Giving honors God. But giving is not the same thing as generosity. And I want to teach you how to be generous. See, here's the difference. Generous people do not need to be guilted to give. Generous people do not need to be inspired to give. Generous people don't need to feel something to give. Generous people are not reactive. They don't just give whenever they see a need or whenever they have something extra or whenever they feel prompted by the Spirit of God. I'm not saying any of that is bad or wrong. I'm saying... That's not how generosity works. This is what you need to write down. Generous people have a plan. Nobody is generous by accident. Generous people have a plan. I can tell you don't really believe me. Maybe you need some more coffee this morning. Let me show it to you from Scripture. 
This is what Isaiah 32 8 says. Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Generous people plan to be generous. They have predetermined, this is what I'm going to do. It's not an emotional thing. It's an intentional thing. It's more strategic than that. Think about this. Uh, Last week, I talked about our Thanksgiving outreach. We gave away over $15,000 worth of Thanksgiving meals. We served over 200 families. That's awesome. Okay. Now, that didn't just happen on a whim, right? Like, there was planning that went into it. There was partnership that went into it. There was strategy that went into it. Generous people plan to be generous. What you're doing when you plan to be generous is you are prayerfully and strategically designing your life around generosity. It's not something you do reactively. It's a mindset. So let me help you with something. Because often we'll say this church, being generous isn't something that we do. It's who we are. What does that mean? That means we're not just responding in a moment. We're not just responding out of a feeling. It's not just an emotional gut reaction. I mean, we plan this. We have a mindset. This is our nature. This is, we ask questions like, how can we make a bigger difference? How can we maximize what we have? It, it's not just spontaneous. I'm not saying that it ever can't be spontaneous. It's just that's not how generosity happens. It might look spontaneous, but it happened because someone had predetermined to be that way. It's not irrational. It's intentional. That's what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said this Macedonian church, they gave in a way that caught us off guard. They planned on this. That's what's happening. He says, first, they gave themselves to the Lord. Second, they gave themselves to us by the will of God. And it was during a period, meaning a span of time of extreme poverty and severe trial that produced, resulted in generosity, meaning they had a plan in this process. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 6, this is why we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's talking about a plan. See, Titus was one of Paul's associates that traveled with him on his missionary journeys, and Titus was a person who carried many of Paul's letters. In fact, he carried these letters to the Corinthian church. And while he was in Corinth, he cared for the church in Corinth. He's kind of like the guy in charge while he was there. And what you find out is, again, this is Paul's second letter. In his first letter, Paul had given some instructions to the Corinthian church. He says, this is why we sent Titus, just as earlier made the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. What's he talking about? He's talking about the plan that he instated. So let's look at the instructions Paul gave this church in 1 Corinthians. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. He says, now regarding your questions about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure 
I gave to the churches in Galatia. In other words, this is not just a one-off for Paul. This was his plan that he prescribed to all the churches wherever he went. He says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So within Paul's plan, there's three things I see that are true for all generous people, and I want to walk you through them very quickly. The first one is this. You have to designate the priority. Generous people plan to be generous. With your plan, here's what you first need to do. you got to designate the priority. If you want to be generous, you have to say, this is a priority in my life. It's, it's not a secondary thing. It's not a when I get around. This is a priority. This is why it says on the first day of each week. Giving needs to be first. Generous people designate generosity as a priority. To designate means to assign the status. It, it, it means it's something that's predetermined. It's something you do beforehand. You, you make the decision ahead of time. Now, when we talk about giving first, I want you to know next week, this is the final, next week is the final week of the series, I'm going to be talking about tithing. And I want to encourage everybody to be here next week because it is going to be the best message you've ever heard on the subject of tithing. It's going to help you so much. It's going to give you so much clarity. That's not the message today, but that's going to be next week. I'm going to talk about what tithing is, what it isn't. And I promise you it's going to be the most helpful message you've ever heard. But generally speaking, when I preach in our church, I don't use the word tithing a lot, and that's intentional. What I like to say instead of tithing is I say, give your first and your best. Your first and your best. First and best. That, that first part is important because God has to be first. God being first isn't just a principle for giving, it's a principle for living. God has to be first, first in place, first in rank, first in priority. So when Paul says, I want you to tell him this grace of giving, and I'm sending Titus to finish what he started, I, I want him to go back to the plan I told you about. This is what he's talking about. The first thing is you've got to designate the priority. It's got to be first. God has to be first. The second thing is you have to calculate the percentage. Calculate the percentage. He says, on the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. A portion. That's another word for percentage. He actually goes on to say in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that in other letters that he, that he wrote, he talks about giving not, not by what you don't have. He talks about giving in accordance to what you have. It, it should be a percentage that God never asks something from you that you don't have. You shouldn't, and he even goes on in this letter, he says, I don't want you to put yourself in a bad spot by giving. I'm just asking you to do in accordance with what you have. So it's a percentage giving. Then he says, don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. You got to designate the priority. You have to calculate the percentage. Here's the third thing got to automate the process. Automate the process. If you wait, you'll forget. If you wait, you won't be ready. If you wait, something else will come up. 
And so what Paul is saying is, I know you want to be generous. This is a desire of yours. This is what the Macedonians did. I'm sending Titus to work the plan. And this is the plan. Make it first. Make it a percentage. Make it automatic. Don't wait till I get there. And what happens with a lot of us is we have a heart to be generous, but we haven't said this is going to be the first thing I do. We have a heart to be generous, but we haven't, we just kind of give out of handfuls. We haven't thought, okay, this is how much I make, and I'm going to be intentional about this amount. I'm going to give a percentage. And we've never automated it. We just forget, oh, I forgot to do that, and I'm not really ready, and then I haven't looked at my budget and all this kind of stuff. You got to automate the process. I'm saying all that to to set this up. I'm preaching to you about what I know. This year, my wife and I hit a milestone in our giving. So, it's been in our heart to be generous for a long time. Uh, since we, you know, I, I remember, I honestly, I remember the first time I gave a $1,000 check back when we used to write checks. I don't know what those are anymore, but I was 17 years old. I gave a $1,000 check. I was thinking about this. I don't know where Reese is at, but Reese and I were talking about money yesterday. And uh, uh, he's 16 and he's working right now. So I was 17 years old. And uh, I'd been, I'd worked a job over the summer, saved up a lot of money. I was living in France. I came back, uh, came back from France to America for Christmas. And I was at a New Year's Eve, a New Year's Eve church service, because that's the kind of Christian I was. And uh, (laughs) I was really seeking God about what I was supposed to do with my life. I knew I was going to finish up school in France. I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, I felt prompted to give a $1,000 check. I remember giving that check. And what's cool about that is, is it was 10 days later, that's when God called me to ministry. I was in France, and I really believe it was connected to that gift. So generosity has been part of my life. But this year, Marissa and I hit a milestone. We were able to give just under 30% of our income through the church this year. So just like 29 point something. And the reason I'm sharing that is that didn't happen by accident. Now we didn't start there. We started at 10. And I'm going to talk to you next week about why we started at 10. But what we did, this is about 14 years in the making for us. So when we started the church, we had been tithing to the church that we were sent out of, and then we were setting aside money, savings, to plant this church. And so when we started this church, we just began to, what we were tithing plus what we were saving, we're going to put that into the church. So we started a little above 10. And every year we just determined in our heart that we were going to go up a percentage. So Part of the story I don't overshare is that not every year was an up year for us. When 
most of you know, we started as church bivocational. I was bivocational, worked a job. The church, you know, could not afford to pay us anything. That year that I left my job to be full-time at the church, took a $20,000 pay cut to come on full-time. But our giving kept going up. The percentage kept going up. And I'm, I'm not saying that to you. I don't think that's for everybody. I'm not putting that on everybody. But what I'm trying to tell you is it doesn't happen by accident. Last night I was talking to Marissa. I was telling about the sermon. We were talking about some of our goals for generosity, talking about giving. We have a goal. This is our goal. We want to get to the place where we're living off 50% and giving 50%. It's going to happen. How do I know it's going to happen? Because we planned it. We're not wishing it to happen. We're not just, well, maybe, it'd be, wouldn't it be nice? No, we're being intentional, small steps, a little bit at a time. We want to write some big check, big, give some big gifts. Now, we've given some pretty big gifts for us, but how are we going to do that? It's going to be small steps. I don't want to share with you some of our goals because you might not be able to handle it, but we have some real goals that way. And it, it just happens through practical, a little bit at a time. Again, I'm not saying that for anybody here. That's a conviction of ours. We're leading the church. I think I should probably be reading my Bible more. I should probably be praying more. I should probably be giving more. I can't give as much as some of you. I don't make as much as some of you. But we can lead the way in generosity. And so what I'm trying to ask you to do, if you want to do this, you got to have a plan. You've got to designate the priority, calculate the percentage, and automate the process. That's how to be generous. You don't just stumble into it. You don't just accidentally, circumstances make it happen. It happens with a plan. It doesn't happen by accident.